Well, good morning, Waypointers. It really is so good uh, to be back with you this morning. I want to begin this morning with something of an apology. Uh, My apology is that after the service, I'm going to run, and I'm so sorry for that. God is doing something new, and it's so exciting, isn't it, to welcome new folk in the life of your church here. We've got the same problem uh, back in Christchurch, which is great, and we're hosting a welcome meal uh, today. We've got 60 people joining us for a meal who are new into the life of the church as well. Isn't it exciting what God uh, is doing in his church? So the problem is not that your coffee is bad. The problem is just that I've got a nice lunch waiting at the end of the M27. So that's why I'm dashing. So apologies for that. Well, last weekend, Jim did kick off this new teaching series for us, thinking about the kingdom. The kingdom, something that Jesus spoke about an awful lot. The word kingdom is mentioned in the Gospels, just in the Gospels, 123 times. Jesus himself is recorded in Scripture as using the word 98 times. Now, he would have used the word many more times than that, but in Scripture, it's recorded 98 times. This is a theme that's close to the heart of Jesus. The kingdom of God, sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, began in the earthly life of Jesus and continues to spread or continues to be established in the lives of people here today. We're seeing that in the Church of Christ in the UK. We're seeing his kingdom being established even amongst us this morning. Now, if all of that is true, which I'm absolutely sure it is, then that truth ought to impact the way that we are living our Christian lives. Here's a very simple definition for you. The kingdom is God's reign in and through God's people over God's world. God's reign in and through God's people over God's world. In, through, and over. In short, when we pray words like your kingdom come, we're praying that the reign and the rule of Christ will be in, will be through, and will be over our lives. Now, before I carry on, Jim, I really must commend you for being such a good Baptist last weekend. Uh, Charles Spurgeon would be proud of you. Uh, A good three-point sermon. Who can remember anything that Jim said? (laughs) The kingdom of God is a catalyst for change and for growth. The kingdom of God is a battlefield. Haven't we discovered that to be true? The kingdom of God has greater value than other things. And it's that third point that I kind of want to jump off on and build on uh, this morning. The kingdom of God has greater value than other things. Today we're going to be taking a quick look at the Lord's Prayer, which surely has to be the finest prayer that has ever been prayed, the most theologically rich prayer that's ever been prayed. Why are we looking at the Lord's Prayer? Because the third line of the Lord's Prayer says, thy, or your, depending on your tradition, thy, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is more than just a prayer, isn't it? It's a blueprint for prayer, yes, but too, I want to suggest this morning, the Lord's Prayer is also a blueprint for how we should be living our Christian lives. So if you've got a Bible with you, switch it on if you're in this building, or turn to the right page if you're in the other building, and let's look at Matthew chapter 6. There is nothing wrong with a paper Bible, may I say to you. For one, you don't get a blue glow on your face when you open it. Matthew chapter 6. Now, Jesus is in the middle of the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, so perhaps it's not surprising that he prays the finest prayer that's ever been prayed. It's the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Now, a quick bit of context just before we read it. 
A few chapters before, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' earthly ministry is getting underway. He's being tempted by Satan. Satan loses, by the way. Satan is always in a relegation battle, always. Jesus goes on to call his first disciples, and then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says this. Then Jesus went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. Our theme, the kingdom, is good news. It's something to be celebrated. And then as we move on in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uh, starts his Sermon on the Mount covering more themes in a quarter of his sermon than I've covered in three decades of preaching. And that's when we get to chapter 6, where Jesus essentially is saying this, don't give to the needy, don't talk to God, don't even fast like a hypocrite. Don't do it that way. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they'll show you how not to do these things. Don't be a plonker like them, performing for other people. Instead, be like this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven um, our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins." Now, keep the Bible open. We're going to come back to that text in a moment. But one of the things that always strikes me the most about the Lord's Prayer is that from the very beginning, all of our attention and all of our focus from the start of the prayer is on the exaltation of God and on the things that concern Him most. Did you spot that? That, That's a kingdom approach to living life. You see, effective prayer isn't just measured by how loud or how long or how linguistic our prayer is but it's measured by how God-centered or how kingdom-centered our prayer is. The Lord's Prayer, immediately, before we start worrying about our personal needs, first and foremost, the Lord's Prayer is fixing our gaze, our attention, not on ourselves, but on our Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's not a me or a my in sight. What a contrast to the way my prayers often go. Dear God, here's my list of wants for today. Would you fix my work? Would you fix my family? Would you fix my kids? Would you fix my finance? Wow, would you fix my wife? Would you fix this church that you've called me to lead that causes me so much bother? And God, would you please do this as quickly as you possibly can? So flippant, so self-serving, so often. You see, what I'm really praying when I pray like that is, may my will here on earth be your will in heaven, God. My will, Lord, make it your will in heaven. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? No, of course we haven't. We're waypoint. But Jesus' model for prayer couldn't be more contrasting, could it? You see, it turns out that this walk of faith isn't about Jesus joining my team after all. Discipleship is not about following Christ my way, but actually it's about following Christ his way. Who'd have known? You see, long before we start praying about our needs, notice the difference, our needs, not our wants, like daily bread, that comes in line four, 
Lines 1 to 3 of the Lord's Prayer are unashamedly about the glory and exaltation of God. And that's how it should be. That's how it should be for those of us who are following Jesus when it comes to the things of the kingdom. The kingdom always comes first. God's will ought to be our priority. Why? Because that was Jesus' first priority. He makes it so clear in the Lord's Prayer. God's will in me, God's will through me, God's will over me, that's our first priority. Well, the Lord's Prayer, at least as Matthew records it, is 53 words long. And of those 53 words, 22 of them, the first 22 words, nearly 50% are about the glory of God and about making that the first priority in our lives, a kingdom approach to life. Jesus' model prayer reminds us, doesn't it, that God's will, his kingdom priority, must always come first. Whenever we approach our Heavenly Father in prayer, we should begin by stating, God, I am committed to doing the thing that you want me to do in my life, rather than prioritizing the things that I want to do. The Lord's Prayer is not an invitation to simply dump on our Heavenly Father, to to give him our shopping list like he's a click-and-collect shopper. Have you ever done that? Jesus says our prayer and therefore everything that flows out of that prayer, our very lives, should always begin, Abba, Daddy. Daddy, Father, we're invited to a relationship of intimacy. You're worthy of all honor. You are worthy of all praise. Your will comes before mine, Daddy, always. What kind of a privilege is that, that Jesus has made possible for us, that we can approach God as Abba, as Daddy, to come to him as Abba. The trouble is, too often we confuse Abba with Abba. Give me, give me, give me what's mine before midnight. Won't you please help me chase my troubles away? Give me, give me, give me what's mine before midnight. Give a massive pay rise, do it right now, I pray. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Now, for some of you under the age of 40, you're like, wow, was, was he just singing in the spirit? Yeah. yeah. Max Licardo, much more helpfully, says this, we typically say our prayers as casually as we'd order a burger at the drive-thru. I'll have one solved problem and two blessings. Cut the hassles, please. But that's the very approach that Jesus rebukes the religious leaders for. Now, of course, we would never, ever do that, would we? But all around the world, millions of people today will be praying, God, your kingdom come without the slightest intention of anyone else's will being done apart from their own. That's the reality today. Jesus says that is not the kingdom way to live. Now, this is important, and I really want folk to hear this this morning. It is perfectly okay to ask God for our needs Jesus says that in the text. He says, pray that God would give you your daily bread. Pray for the forgiveness of your sins and your debts. But that should never, ever be the start point of our prayer lives. But if I'm honest, too often I start there. Meaningful, effective discipleship begins with a commitment to do God's will. The trouble in my life is the kingdom of Chris often trumps the kingdom of God. The kingdom that God is longing to see established in me and through me and over me. You see, when we pray this prayer, God, your kingdom come, what we're praying is, God, would you come into the world? Would you do something amazing in this world? 
We're inviting Jesus to take up residence in our lives. We're inviting the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that died for the forgiveness of the sins of the world to make himself and his kingdom values perfectly at home in our lives, in in our worlds. Now, if you pray your kingdom come, and hey, isn't it a safe thing to pray? If ever you don't know what to pray, just simply pray, God, your kingdom come. What you're praying in that moment is you're saying, the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, would you move in my life and in the lives of others around me, and would you breathe your Holy Spirit into them and into my situation? I don't know about you, but I need more of that in my life. Come, my king, take your throne again in my land. Would you be present in my office? Would you be king over my marriage? Would you be Lord over my family? Would you be the king of my finances over my relationships? Would you be king of your church? I'm so glad this is Jesus' church, it's not mine. He can have the trouble. Your kingdom come. It's an invitation for the king of the kingdom to establish his rule, to expand his rule even more in the territory of our hearts. It's an expression of a a desire to embrace the kingdom of Christ in every aspect of our day-to-day lives. We're saying whatever God wants comes first, even if that means difficulty and hardship for us. We're saying life is not my own. I belong to Abba. I belong to Daddy. And by the way, he loves you deeply. It's a safe and a secure relationship. So before we ever get to the point of praying, your kingdom come, we have to first be willing to say, my kingdom go. But somehow my prayer life goes a little bit wonky. The theology that's locked into my head, I know all of that stuff, but too often my actions model quite the opposite. I wonder if that's just my problem. But you see, this is what I've discovered. The more there is of self in my journey of faith, the less room there is for Jesus and for his kingdom. To be blunt, the kingdom of Chris Brockway is pretty shabby compared to the kingdom of God. God's kingdom, his will, his kingdom values should be our first priority. Why? Because next, God's kingdom's, uh, kingdom will is best for us. God's kingdom will is best for us. God really does know what he's doing. Well, unlike the hypocrites who Jesus rebukes in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus not only taught us how to pray and how to live life, but he modeled it as well. He was a man whose walk matched his talk, whose life and lips didn't preach two different messages. Jesus wanted the best that his father had for him, even if, even if that meant that life might not be a bed of roses for him. Remember Jesus' passionate prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times he prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Wow. What God could do in my life, what God could do in your life, in the life of this church, if we fully, totally, completely, unreservedly, immediately committed to discovering God's best for our lives. When Jesus starts teaching uh, the Lord's Prayer, he's rebuking the religious leaders for their approach to prayer and to their approach to life much more generally. And he's saying to the people listening, don't subscribe to the fake gospel that they are proclaiming. Following them and their rules will only ever lead you into captivity. Jesus is saying the the rulers, the scribes, the Pharisees, they're anti-kingdom people. 
He's saying if you follow their interpretation of, God, interpretation of God's best, then you're going to get little cola. You're not going to get Coca-Cola. It's a substandard alternative. You know, you really can't beat the real thing, apparently. You know, our Father God wants us to have M&S. He doesn't want us to have oldie, which is what the Pharisees were offering. So having prayed your kingdom come, Jesus teaches that we should immediately pray another sentence, which is your will be done on earth as in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the kingdom of God coming and the will of God being done here on earth are a couple that walk hand in hand. They're inseparable. God's kingdom coming means living out the will of God in our lives. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're willing is God's best to which nothing else can compare. We're saying we believe God knows better than we do when it comes to our eternal good and to his eternal glory. So we're praying, God, I surrender. I surrender today, God, my good ideas for your great ideas. I surrender. We're saying, God, I trust that you will choose how to answer all of my requests. This is what I want. This is what I think I need. But I trust that you see this situation better than I can possibly see it. So I want your will in my life because I believe your will is the best. Our Heavenly Father always makes a way for his kingdom possibilities in our lives. Now, I describe them as kingdom possibilities because God never ever forces his will or forces his best upon us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he gives us free will, and in giving us free will, he's left the possibility that we'll choose the Pharisee, the the Aldi way over the Jesus M&S way. You know, I can't tell you in my life how many times I've settled for my good idea over God's great idea, but this is what I've found out every single time. When I've had the courage to pursue God's good idea, no one ever loses out by what they sacrifice for the Father. You'll never lose out if you pursue God's best for your life. God knows what's best for us because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what's best that's going to build uh, the thing that's going to build his kingdom. Shortly after sharing the words of the Lord's Prayer and then challenging his hearers not to follow the example of the hypocrites in fasting either, Jesus continues, I'm going to turn to this in verses 19 to 21, to really drive the point home about pursuing God's best. And he says, Here's a point from last week as well. There's a battle for your devotion going on. There's a battle for your devotion. Verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. You see, for Jesus, this whole kingdom thing is a heart issue. He's saying where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Do you remember Jesus also said, Luke records this, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. In, this, in the UK, in the Western world, we, we sense that resides in our heart. And Jesus is saying here, look, your heart can either be consumed with earthly things or your heart can be orientated towards heavenly or towards kingdom things. All those earthly things will eventually bust, Jesus says, but he's saying kingdom things are best and they last for eternity, so pursue them. So he makes this invitation. 
It's an invitation to people to orientate their hearts around kingdom possibilities. If you read on, you get to verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt of the other. There's a challenge here in what Jesus is saying to make sure that we're feeding the kingdom possibilities in our lives. So God's kingdom values should be our first priority. We're invited to pursue God's best kingdom possibility. And finally, I want to say that God's kingdom is last, or God's kingdom is lasting, we might say, and and that's his promise. It's a promise that he simply can't and won't break. You see, when all other kingdoms have risen, when they've done their thing, and then when they've fallen, God's kingdom remains for the whole of eternity. You'll have heard people speak, and I'm sure this is coming more in the weeks to come. There's a now and not yet dimension to the kingdom of God. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying that although we see glimpses of God's kingdom here on earth, and we do, Look around you, there's glimpses of God's kingdom probably sat right next to you this morning. One day God's kingdom is going to come in all of its fullness. Today we see this much of God's kingdom, but in the future my arms can't can't stretch wide enough for how much of God's kingdom we're going to see. We believe that one day God's lasting kingdom will come at last and it will last for eternity. Someday, perhaps even in our lifetime, Jesus is going to return, and when he does, his kingdom will come in all of its fullness, and this whole kingdom idea will fully make sense to us. You see, God wins in the end, and Satan does get relegated. In fact, he gets booted out of the league. And it's that conviction that should continue to fire us and inspire us as Christians as we seek to live out the Christian faith in what can be a really tough world to to live out kingdom values. So I was thinking about this this morning. I was just thinking about a missionary friend of mine who is doing mission in a place where it's illegal to share her faith in Jesus. And I thought to myself, why do you do this? Why do you do this? Why do you risk your liberty? Why do you risk being put in captivity? And she will answer, because it's worth it, because in the end, God wins. And because I know that, I've got a responsibility to live that out and also to tell others that truth. The world is broken, isn't it? Don't we know that? Haven't we seen it? You only need to look at the images coming out of Ukraine. But God's kingdom here on earth right now is coming in small ways despite the brokenness. And one day it will come fully and all things will be made right. I've read so many inspiring stories of the church and individual Christians in Ukraine who are risking their lives to meet the needs of the people who remain. Why do they do those things? Why don't they just let history take its natural course? Well, there are lots of reasons. But for the Christians there, it's because they believe that the light of Christ can shine in the darkness and a kingdom difference can be made in the here and now. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters living in darkness that the light of Christ would shine. God's lasting promise is that one day all things will be made right. When we pray your kingdom come, we're saying that we believe in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4.17, where he says this, our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth, we're saying that we really believe that we can make an eternal difference as the Spirit of God equips us. We're saying that we believe that God's kingdom comes 
whenever we do his will. We sang a a word from a song earlier on, and I quickly snapped a photo of it. This is it. This will really annoy you. I could have done this sermon just by reading this. This is what the kingdom is. Come, have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. That's it. That's it. Come, have your way in me, Lord Jesus. Whenever we pray that and we mean it and we seek to live out of that conviction, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness flees. Lots of light, lots of light through lots of actions. I want to invite our worship team to come and join us and just want us to think just a little bit about some of the practical outworking of this for us today. Last night, uh, a whole team of us um, back at Christchurch Baptist Church were painting our youth room. I can't tell you how annoying that job is. Two weekends we've committed to it. And suddenly I had this moment of realization last night. You know, this is worth it. It's worth the pain and the suffering. Because by decorating this room, the gospel is going to be shared with young people. The light is going to shine in the darkness. God, your kingdom come in, through and over me, even in an act as simple as painting a youth room. Some of us are caring for loved ones, maybe an an elderly neighbor. It's hard work. It's a bind. It's It's a tough job. Would you know that in a small way, maybe even in a big way, the kingdom of God comes as you exercise that ministry in Jesus' name. God, your kingdom come in me, through me, and over me. Maybe you volunteer in the food bank ministry. Maybe today is the day when you respond to the invitation of Verity to join the kids' ministry. Whenever we do these things, God's kingdom gets established here on earth. Some of us today are fighting an addiction. An addiction to pornography. Every time you fight the temptation to look at things you shouldn't be looking at on the web and you Enable the power of Christ to help you overcome. God's kingdom comes and it's established. The darkness must flee and the light shines brightly. Maybe you want to think this morning about your giving. Maybe today your ministry is praying. Every time you pray, somehow the kingdom of God gets established. God, your kingdom come in me, through me, and over me.